Hey, welcome back. This is Atypical Parenting, the podcast for people who love someone with autism. I'm so glad you joined us today because I think most of you are going to relate really well to our guest. We have the honor of having Rebecca Mickey here today with us. She is a sleep consultant and sleep specialist, and I know you guys are out there thinking, how the heck can I help my kids sleep better? Or maybe how can I help them sleep better so that I can get some sleep? So she's going to give us some great suggestions today. I hope you'll listen to the end where she's going to tell us all about the resources she has to offer us. So hi, good morning. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here because sleep is such a big problem in the autistic community. Yeah, sleep is something that we all love and we think is one of the most natural things on the planet, uh, but it's not always easy. And if you have a loved one on the spectrum, then you definitely know that it is certainly more challenging. Yeah. Have you worked with families or kids on the spectrum? I have, yes. I work with many families. So coming up with some realistic suggestions and tactics, I think, is imperative for families who have someone on the on the spectrum. What do you mean by that? What, why realistic? Well, because um, you can, I mean, there's plenty of information online. I'm sure if you just search for anything online, there's bazillions of pages that are going to come up and there's going to be bazillions of different suggestions and things to do. But it may not actually work for one, may not actually work for your child. It may not work for you. It may not work for your family. Every child, every family unit is completely unique. And what works for one does not necessarily work for another. And so if you're just reading sort of like a post or information and it's just a blanket sort of do this, 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 and this, it may not actually be possible for your family because you have other children, you have other carers you're working, whatever that is, it's just not going to be possible. And there's no point, you know, there's no point in even attempting something because you're not going to be able to see it through. Or you just know that what that suggestion is, is just not going to work for your child. There's no point in even trying it. So a realistic plan, I think, is really, really important. And as well, starting small, because again, you're going to get a lot of information on things that are, you know, will definitely, definitely work for your child. And it's when you're making lots and lots of changes, it's really overwhelming. It's overwhelming for your child and it's overwhelming for you. It's overwhelming for your family. And when things get overwhelming, we then just sort of like think, I can't do this. It's the same with anything that you're trying to do. If you're trying to learn something new or you're trying to break a habit or give something up or whatever that is, if it's too big of a task, you just feel that you're failing and you just stop. So it's coming up with small little things that you can tweak and change and then build on. I think that's going to get you those results because you can then see what's working, what's not working and tweak and change as you go along. And that's how I like to work with all families is get started with a little bit of a plan, start making some tweaks and changes, see what's working, carry on with those things. The bits that aren't working, tweak and change so that it's we're just adapting as we move along. That's much easier. It's much easier for the child to be able to, um, accept, to accept the changes. And it's much easier for the parents and for the carers who are then instigating these changes because it just doesn't feel too big or too much too soon. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point because how many times do we as parents think like, I'm going to make this massive change, I'm going to do all the right things, and then 
you know, within a week, you're like overwhelmed by it all and it just completely falls to shit. So, yeah, we all want those instant results as well. Of course we do. You know, if you think right now I'm going to make we go, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make these changes. You want to get those instant results, but it never never ha- especially with sleep it never well especially with anything parenting related it never happens instantly and it's just continuing to sort of build and it's looking as well for those little wins and those successes so don't think that the goal is you can only celebrate when your child is falling asleep with ease and they're sleeping through the entire night yeah that would be amazing and that may be our goal but it may just be that you've made your bedtime just a little bit smoother and it just feels just the tiny little bit easier that is worth celebrating and that is a success and that is certainly something that you can build on and that I think is really important during anything parenting related is that you celebrate those small little wins because they are definitely worth celebrating and they are it's something that you can build on and make some really big positive changes. I think the way you're coming at this is fascinating because obviously like I've heard of habit stacking and I use that in my personal life for self-development and things, but I don't think people often apply that to parenting. You're right. Like we have set these big goals. I want my kid to sleep through the night, but maybe we need to back it up and set some really smaller goals and then celebrate the wins along the way while we stack it up forward, ultimately, hopefully to get to the goal, the big goal. Definitely. That's what you do with a lot of things, but we don't do that with parenting. We'll do that if we're trying to lose weight. You may sort of like reach a goal there and that's worth celebrating. Or if you're whatever, you're you're breaking a habit, you're doing something, you'll get to it, you'll set yourself a little goal and that's worth celebrating. It's definitely the same. We should be doing this with everything kind of parenting related, not just sleep. But there's so many things I'm as your children grow and get older, obviously, you know, the everything changes. What your goal is with a three-year-old is very different than what your goal is with a 13-year-old. But uh-huh. you just still want to have these little wins for, I think it's important for us all to have these. And if you're doing this with your family, that's something that your child can do as well, is that they can set themselves little goals and celebrate. I mean, I'm not talking about throwing parties and cracking open bottles of champagne. But oh, that's just, fun too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, by all means, by all means, go for it. But just a little sort of like, you know, giving yourself a pat on the back or just, you know, like, ah, hey, and in acknowledging the work that you've done and the results that you've seen from your hard work. And the work that your child has done and the results that they've seen, they are definitely worth celebrating. You need to acknowledge how you're doing because parenting is the hardest job on the planet. It really is. It's constantly changing. We're constantly criticizing ourselves and we're really good at the criticizing part, but we're not so great at that praise part. And I think that we need to get better at that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So when you're starting with a new family, where do you start? What are some of those micro goals that you would suggest for them? So when I'm working with a family, we start looking at what the big, big goal is. So what is the ideal? If I had a magic wand, what would be that perfect? What would that be? And then I'll ask a family, okay, that would be wonderful. Alas, I don't have that magic wand, so I can't just swoop in and make that everything perfect. But what would be a good enough goal? So what would that be? And then breaking that down even more. So the good enough goal is going to be very different 
than the everything's perfect goal, the good enough goal. And then breaking that down. Okay, what is the most important? Is that going to be your beginning of the night? Is that during the night? Is that ease with naps? Is that sleeping in a little bit later in the morning? Just breaking that down even further into what the first goal is. What is the most problematic for that family? And then we can work on that one thing. Because generally the part that is the most problematic is not just, and that may be the beginning of the night, just initially getting ready for bed, getting into bed and falling asleep. That's oftentimes what the people would like to work on first. But when we can get that going a little bit smoother, that then in turn may make the during the night wake ups a little bit easier. And that in turn may make it easier for a child to sleep in a little bit later in the morning. So we can just work on one goal, but it will definitely have a positive impact on naps, nighttime sleep, just through the night sleep and morning wake ups. So it just continues to sort of to, we can continue to snowball with our results and seeing the goals that we're reaching. Yeah, so I see a lot of kids with autism and the parents, a common problem that seems to pop up and also I experience this with my own son is that in autism, there's this often intense anxiety and fear of being alone in the bedroom or falling asleep on their own. So what kind of suggestions would you give to those parents? So first off, we want the, the bedroom and the beds to be a really positive space. Because obviously, if your child is thinking of their room negatively or their bed negatively, it's going to be very hard for them to relax. And they will have definitely have that anxiety. So we want to try and bring that around to make it into a much more positive space. And that comes with working not even at sleep time. That's more of a during the day. So just hanging out and being in the room and being fun and exciting, but not super exciting. And doing that even with the bed as well, just being able to be on the bed and being comfortable there. And that could be with reading some books, having some playtime. I think that that's really important. So it's not associated with sleep at all. That just brings a, if your child can get into bed and feels a little bit more positive about that space, it's just easier. And then you can begin to build on that, starting really small, again, realistic goals here. That may be that we're going to spend three minutes playing in the room and then we're going to get out and we're going to leave. We're going to leave when we're having a good time because that makes going back the next time a little bit easier if we've got that positive association. And continuing to build on that, you can then start working on having your child in their room, working on trying to aim for a little bit more of independence there. Again, working on this during the day as opposed to just at nighttime or just when you want your child to fall asleep. So working during the day, letting your child know if you're going to be leaving the room, you may be setting them up with an activity and you're going to then leave the room. You're going to leave the room just for a tiny, tiny period of time. That may be literally you go out of sight for a second and then you come straight back in. Letting your child know what it is that you're doing. You're not trying to sneak out. You're letting them know what you're doing and then coming back. I think it's really important to let your child know what it is that you're doing, what it is that you want them to do, and that you're going to be right back. So, for example, it could be that you've got a found a pair of socks on the floor and you just say, I'm going to put these socks in the laundry. You carry on playing here with the cars and I'll be right back. So you're letting your child know what it is that you're doing, 
what it is that you want them to do and that you're going to be right back. And then just leave the room, throw those socks quickly in the laundry and then come straight back. And if your child comes after you or they begin to get upset, that's okay. Don't worry. Just then comfort them and come back and finish playing up with what it was that you asked your child to play with. Engage with them with that. Um, And then as they get used to this, you leaving and this language that you're using, hopefully it'll begin to get a little bit easier for them, that they know that you're only going out of sight for a second, that you do always come back and that you're always then following this up with something positive. Then you can continue to increase the duration that you're out the room. Again, we're not going to be going very long. It may be that you just did that initial out of sight for a second, and then you're going to work on 10 seconds, and then you're going to work on 20 seconds, and you can continue to build up the duration that you're out of the room so that your child is then, they still know, we're still not expecting them to be playing for an hour or anything like that, but they're getting used to being alone in their room and that it's okay. Now, of course, this is when the lights are on. We're not expecting them to be in bed. We're not expecting them to just lay there and fall asleep. We're not expecting that, but this is something that we can continue to build on and it can then make bedtime at nighttime that little bit easier. If your child is used to you using that language and you leaving and coming back, you can then start doing that once they've got into bed. They know that you're going to come back because you always do. When you use this language, they know that you are always going to be coming back. You need to set them up with something to do because just laying there, just lay there and close your eyes and fall asleep, it's hard for anybody to do. Um, It's just, it's really, really, really hard. So giving that your child something to do, what is that? Is they going to be listening to some music? Are they going to be talking to their stuffed animal? Are they going to be singing a song? But giving them something to do whilst you then give your reason for leaving for a second and then coming back in. And again, you can do that many times as you're trying to get your child down to sleep and you can work on increasing that time. Now, obviously this isn't a quick fix by any means. No, but I do think it's a brilliant idea. I do think it's a thought that is not often discussed about making the room a positive space during the day, right? Like when I was raising my kids, it was often encouraged that you would send your child to their room, right? As a punishment, like, and now thinking back as I'm listening to you talk, I'm like, oh my gosh, no wonder we had so many troubles, right? Yeah, exactly. If you're using the bedroom or the threat of an early night, as a punishment. Well, no wonder your child doesn't want to go to bed. It's a punishment. So you don't want to be using that at all. We want it to be a really fun, exciting, a good place to be. What we want is we want our children that when they get into bed at the beginning of the night to do the same thing that we do, which is just like, oh, this is great. (laughs) That's That's what we want. And so we obviously think of our beds and our bedroom as a really positive, nice, calm, relaxing space. And that's what we want your child to feel as well. So how can you go about making that happen? Again, the goal may be, I'm going to go out of sight for a second and come back in. And if you're able to do that, That's amazing. That's where I start is always with every single family, regardless if they have a child on the spectrum or not. That's where we start with going out of sight for a second, even if then the child can be completely fine for maybe even 10 minutes. I still start with a second because it is easier to slowly build trust than try to overdo it and Uh, rebuild the trust. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. 
I mean, that's phenomenal. This is the reason we're talking to a sleep expert because you have so many great ideas. Tell me what your thoughts are on teenagers. <laughs> it's a whole different ball game, right? Oh, definitely. Yes. So yeah. So teenagers are just a whole breed unto themselves. They have a delayed sleep anyway. So when we get through to the teenage years, we are all of us are programmed to fall asleep much later. As we're getting up to teenage years, then we can be falling asleep fairly early, though generally children who are on the spectrum do take a longer time to be able to fall asleep. But as we then get to teenage years, that really, really shifts. And that really does shift to a much, much later bedtime. And then we still need the same amount of sleep. And remember, every family is completely unique. Every child is completely unique. Every human being is completely unique as to how much sleep it is that they need per night um, to be able to function. We all have that unique need. Your child will still need that. Your teenager is still going to need that same amount of sleep. And that gets really tricky as we're then doing dealing with school and having to be up early. Generally, mm. high schoolers need to be up early and so can be missing out on sleep. Again, creating a positive space, I think, is really important. It's a little bit different with teenagers is electronics. That's very, very different with teenagers in that they'll have computers and screens and that we know can make sleep much, much trickier. Uh, so I think that trying to keep those as much as possible outside of the bedroom, kind of like putting those to bed before going to bed mm. so that maybe that you need to do that as a family, that everybody's going to be doing this rather than it's just you who has to do this. Yes. You may have a certain time. OK, whatever time that is, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. This is when all of our phones go away. Right. That, this is it. This is when they're all going to be going away or whatever, we're not going to be having any screen time after this time. You need to do that as a family. Yeah, I think a lot of people, they don't want to make these kinds of changes themselves because they, you know, may enjoy the habits they have that are not terribly beneficial. Yeah, and it may be because you're so great at falling asleep. You don't have an issue falling asleep. Well, I don't need to stop that screen time because I have no problem going to sleep. Again, this whole... I'm going to take your phone away. You're not going to have any screen time is a punishment. We see that right. as a punishment. And so yes. why should I be punished for having to have my screen taken away? And you can keep doing that. So it's right. again, it's, it's kind of like it can be tricky. It can be hard. But honestly, we'll probably all sleep better if we do have our screens one outside of the bedroom. Yeah, I think everyone can benefit from putting their screens away prior to bed. Oh, definitely. We all can. Yeah, I've taken to charging my phone in the other room completely, which has yeah. been amazing. I've been reading again, which is so nice. Definitely. And as well, we, a lot of times the excuse I hear a lot is that I use my phone as an alarm, so I need it right next to my bed. They still make alarm clocks. You can still buy alarm clocks. Yes, I just bought one for $10. I put <laughs> yeah. a little battery in there. It's great. Exactly. See, I have my phone in my room because I don't have a home phone. And so um, and does anybody anymore have a have a landline? I'm not even sure. Not very so many. I keep my phone in my room, but it is across the room. It is nowhere near my bed. So I will have my mm -hmm. phone and it is charging, but it's right across the room. And I have an alarm clock 
right next to my bed that wakes me up in the morning. I can still tell what the time is. I don't have to look at that screen and I'm not then tempted if I'm having a tougher time sleeping to then just let, oh, do some doom scrolling in the middle of the night. What I'll do is if, if I am struggling, I'll turn the light on and I'll read my book. It is very tempting when your phone is right there within reach. Absolutely. Oh God. Yeah. It is. It's addictive. It's incredibly addictive. And I think that's for everybody that the phone is really, really addictive. Um, yeah. And phone companies know this and yes, app companies know this and they are designed to keep us there and to keep us right. there for as long as possible because that's how they get their revenue. Right. That literally is what people spend their entire work life doing is figuring out ways to get yeah. us suckers to spend more time on their devices. So more and more and more time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We should all be as we're getting ready for sleep, and that may be for like an hour before, no screen time, even before you're getting started on the preparation for falling mm. asleep, no screen time. And so finding other things to do. And it may be a great time to connect as a family. It may be that you're going to be doing some reading, you're going to be doing some, whatever, some coloring together, anything, even with older children. Yeah. It's going to be a really great time to connect. And then get started with a routine. And obviously teenagers are going to be a little bit more independent and they're not going to need as much corralling around and as much wrangling as it comes to getting to sleep, but sticking with that uh, routine. And we all do well if we have a consistent, predictable routine when it comes to sleep, mm -hmm. simply because when we have that predictability, the brain knows that sleep is coming. And when the brain knows that sleep's coming, it starts getting ready to do that. It starts getting ready. So if you start doing it, we often will do this with infants and young children. We know that predictability of the routine is really important. And this is the same, honestly, for all of us of all ages, especially if you do have a child who's on the spectrum or you're on the spectrum, that predictability is just can be very relaxing. It can help with their anxiety. It can just help then with that knowing exactly what's going to be coming next in that you just don't have to then think about it. You're just doing this, 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 and this. And it just is sort of like easy, it's smooth, it's manageable. So doing the same things in the same order with younger children, I suggest doing those in the same place as well. But just keeping like, and again, setting yourself up for success. What is going to be manageable here? Because every family is unique. You've got other children, you've got other people that need to be managed around that time. So setting yourself up for success. And it may be that you have family time where you're all going to get together and you're all going to either be reading separately, but together or reading out loud and having some family time there and some book time and then moving through, spending some time in the bedroom, adjusting to being in the room before you're trying to quickly get into bed because that's your child's just going to feel really rushed if you're just sort of like, okay, let's get into the room, get into bed, lay down. Mm. Spending time adjusting, so spending time, about 30 minutes even, before trying to get into bed of just being in the room, consistent, so you may be reading some books. Playtime is completely fine to have as part of your routine, as long as it's not the most fun, exciting playtime. We want to be physically slowing down at this time as well, and that's sometimes a little bit tricky for children who are tired and uh, sleep deprived, it can be hard for them to physically slow down. Mm. And so if you're in the room and you maybe you've got your child, maybe sat on your lap and you're reading some books, you can just be giving them a hug, snuggling with them. That pressure can be really helpful for be helping them to relax and unwind. But predictability through your nighttime routine, your bedtime routine, whatever that look like is really helpful for all of us when it comes to sleep. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When my kids were little, I was very good about bringing, having the routine and reading them books and spending that time together next to each other. And as they got older, they really still craved that. But I was like, oh, you're old enough. Go, go settle yourself yeah. down. And in hindsight, I really wish I had spent that time a half an hour every night. Because gosh, what an amazing bonding time that is. Because how often do our teenagers really relax and talk to us? So I think that's a great suggestion. Oh, yeah. And that's when they do it. That's when teenagers do it is at that time. The amount of times I have two teenagers, I have an 18 and a 19 year old. And the amount of times that they'll come, you know, it's like 1130 and they'll come upstairs to and just like, hey, you got time to talk? And it's just like, yeah, of course I have. <laughs> I'm exhausted, but of course. Because now's the time that you want to talk. Of course, <laughs> I'm always open to talking. Yeah, it's 11.30 and I've got to be up at six, but oh, yeah, I'll do it. Exactly. Um, and that's when they want to talk. And so creating just that kind of space, maybe then at a far more acceptable time for getting that conversation yeah. rather than them coming up at midnight or whatever, like, I need to talk right. to you. Right. <laughs> So, you know, with older kids, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't start this or realize the need for it until their kids are older. So they haven't set up these kinds of things. And oftentimes I find that the hardest part is getting buy-in from the teenager or even the young adult that they need to improve their sleep hygiene in some way. So how do you encourage buy-in? Mm, yeah. I mean, my kids hate what I do because I'm just like such a imperative that they get decent sleep. And so they've disliked my job for many, many, many years. Uh, because I'm making sure that they're getting enough sleep. We would talk a lot about how life is so much harder when we're sleep deprived for all of us. And I would often talk about, even with me, that, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. And now I'm short tempered. I'm wanting all these uh, different foods than I would normally want. And so I think that talking about how showing how something impacts you can be really helpful. And it's not, again, just, I just need you to be doing this. So looking at what the negative consequences of not getting enough sleep are, and really realistically looking at those. But then as well, trying to come up with a compromise with your teenager. So I'd like you to be going to bed at this time. You feel that you should be going to bed at this time. What compromise can we come to? And I think, especially with teenagers, if you can compromise on so many things, it makes life so much easier because your teenager is really feeling like they're being respected and that they're being heard. And that's really, really important for all of us. So negotiating, I think, is very, very helpful. Your child feels then that they've been heard, that they've been respected, and that you are really taking into consideration what they're saying rather than just an instant no what I say goes. Right. No, just it's really worth putting in that effort and energy to be looking at, okay, this is the reasons why you need to be getting enough sleep. How are you going to be ensuring that that happens? How can we make sure as, you know, together as a team that that happens? And so that may be, we're going to be doing the screens outside, but that may be happening when you want it to, but actually the bedtime is going to be a little bit later than you'd like. But if your child's getting enough sleep and they're doing okay, then that's okay. Then doing check-ins. Okay, let's give this a go for a month, a week, whatever that is. And then let's see how we're doing because we can always change it. If it's not working, fine, we can change it. If it's working great and you're feeling okay, great, we'll carry on doing this. 
It's only a problem when it's a problem. If something is actually working, keep doing it. But even with younger children, you can do this with younger children as well. It's not just with teenagers that you can do. Decide what's negotiable and what's not. Decide, you know, and that will be what books your six-year-old chooses to read before going down to sleep. Those are totally negotiable. Which pajamas it is that you want to wear before going to again totally negotiable but you do always need to brush your teeth non-negotiable that's non-negotiable so decide where you can negotiate and where you can't and let your child know where those things are so asking them rather than just giving them sort of like what do you want to do now do you want to do this or do you want to do this and so you've got that do you want to wear the green pajamas or the red pajamas it's the options there so it's negotiable you've got those options choosing between two things is easier than choosing between absolutely everything because you can guarantee they'll want the pajamas that are in the wash and then right. you're sort of trying to think can I quickly get these washed and dried if you've not given those as an option now of course children are still going to be like no I want to have these ones of course, there are going to be those times, but trying to sort of make that as smooth as possible with as many options as you possibly can. Decide what's negotiable and what is not negotiable. As your child gets older, you can let them know what's negotiable and what is not negotiable and get their input on that. And deciding as a family unit, what's going to work. Yeah, I think that's really important for development overall. And so what a great place mm. to practice that. Yeah. Tell me about your most successful client. Um, It was many, many years ago. It's actually one of my first clients that I worked with. Sleep was obviously a very big issue, but we were then not just working with sleep. We were starting to get better sleep at night. We were basically starting from waking up in the morning because it was looking at things that we were eating during the day, times that we were eating during the day, activities and when they were happening during the day that would then make that bedtime so much easier. So it's not, you know, we think, okay, bedtime is the, this is where I've got the problem is getting down to sleep, getting down to bed. What do I do right here to make that as easy as possible? But it may be something that you need to be thinking about what activity happens early afternoon. Is it something that that's going to happen? Is it that we need to be having lots of big physical activity, but not past three o'clock? Then just figuring out what it is that's going to work for your individual child and working with that. So keeping a sleep diary can be really, really helpful. But it's not just a, oh, we went, fell asleep at this time, woke up at this time, had an awake period during the night for this duration. You want to look back, keep a track of what foods were eaten, keep a track of what activities. Now, it doesn't need to be a minute by minute itinerary for the day, but just, you know, we went to the beach and we did this time. So just so you can see, you may see that, ah, actually... When we do beach late afternoon or we get in the pool late afternoon, we struggle much more to get down to sleep. Or it could be when we do it in the morning, we struggle way more than if we do something in the afternoon. So that can be really, really helpful because getting easier time at bedtime, calmer bedtime starts the second that you get up in the morning, keeping that 
and and it's just looking at that bigger picture that is really a profound idea i love that thank you it doesn't mean that it's restrictive or everything your entire day is a real strict routine it's not and there's always going to be those times there's things that need to happen that are completely unavoidable and you've just got to do it sure. but then if you know that okay we've had to do this because of my other child we needed to do this blah 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 you then know that you may have a harder time at bedtime. And if you know and you can predict that that's going to happen, you're not fighting against it. Mm-hmm. And you're, it's then if you know that it's going to happen, you just kind of accept you, you've accepted it rather than everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be great. Fingers crossed. Everything's going to be great. Because if it's not, then you feel like, oh, crap, you know, what the hell happened there? Right. If you know that things are going to be a little bit trickier. OK, then you can get some tactics for tricky night, this is what works a little bit easier on a tricky night that maybe I can just see that I know this is going to be trickier. So I need to have longer time where we are reading books or I need to have longer time where we're spending time on the swing before getting started with our bedtime routine. You know, then that and you can accommodate that trying to then make that as smooth and as easy as possible. Wow. Rebecca, Mickey, what a pleasure to pick your brain. Thank you so much for hanging out today. You're welcome. It's always fun. I mean, I'm just such a sleep nerd. I mean, who doesn't love sleep? And I just love helping families to just get the best possible sleep. Every family that's unique. You know, my family is very different to your family. And I just love getting everybody as well rested as possible. Yeah. So if parents want to work with you directly, how do they do that? You can go to my website, childrensleepconsultant.com, and you can find everything there. I have work privately with families and I have different courses. Everything is all online. I have a very extensive blog as well. So if you've got any any questions, you can always just search there on the blog and there'll probably be a bazillion different articles that will come up there. Wow, what a great resource. Everybody check that out. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm so glad that you guys are listening. And again, thank you, Rebecca, Mickey, you're amazing. Go forth and conquer the world because once you help people get better sleep, I think you are making tremendous change in the world. So thank you. Good job. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate you spending your valuable time here. I find it kind of magical that we're all on this journey together, every one of us with unique circumstances, but all of us here together learning and growing and striving to be the best version of ourselves so that we can be better at supporting the people we love. Quick shout out to my extraordinary editor and co-producer, Sam Eisenbaum. One last thing, I know that there are a lot of parents and caregivers out there who are looking for the kind of community that we are creating here the kind of community that you and I belong to if you are a listener. If you find value in this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it on your podcast platform so that more people like us can find it. Have a wonderful week.